0: Welcome to The Thing About Austen, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan.
1: And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Weymouth. For this episode, we are working with the novel Emma. We are at the point in the story where Emma and Harriet are calling on Mrs. and Miss Bates, and Miss Bates is telling them all about Jane Fairfax soon arriving to visit her family in Highbury. Miss Bates informs them that Jane will be coming, even though the Dixons have urged her to visit them in Ireland, along with Mrs. Dixon's parents, the Campbells. In addition to this news, Miss Bates also shares the tale of Jane's rescue by one Mr. Dixon.
0: So this is from Miss Bates. Mr. Dixon does not seem in the least backward in any attention. He is a most charming young man. Ever since the service he rendered Jane at Weymouth, when they were out in that party on the water, and she, by the sudden whirling round of something or other among the sails, would have been dashed into the sea at once, and actually was all but gone if he had not with the greatest presence of mind, caught hold of her habit. I can never think of it without trembling. But ever since we had the history of that day, I have been so fond of Mr. Dixon.
1: Mr. Dixon, a hero to us all. (laughs) I mean, honestly, if you needed a self-esteem boost, you could not ask for a better friend than Miss Bates. Because she will only say the loveliest, nicest things about you. She will be like your perpetual
0: hype person. Exactly.
1: So, Weymouth is a seaside town on the Dorset coast that was a popular sea-bathing and coastal resort town during Austin's lifetime. This would be a little over 100 miles from the fictional Highbury, based off of some of the location data that Austin gives us in the novel.
0: And Weymouth gets its name from the River Way that divides the current city. Before the 18th century, it was essentially two different towns, Weymouth and Malcolm Regis on either side of that river that flowed into the larger harbor.
1: While Weymouth had a reputation as a seaside retreat, it is also important to recognize that port cities like Weymouth were almost invariably involved in the transatlantic slave trade. This quote comes from the Lyme Regis Museum quote, All the 18th century ports of Dorset were involved with the slave trade, including, quote, ships from Poole, Weymouth and Lyme Regis.
0: We read that quote in our episode on The Cobb, but it definitely bears repeating here since this affected the entire Dorset coastline. Weymouth developed a reputation as a sea bathing destination starting in the late 1740s. The first documented account of sea bathing we have for Weymouth is in 1748 when bathing houses were constructed, and by the 1750s It was really starting to draw the attention of wealthy patrons. The first really wealthy patron of Weymouth is a man named Ralph Allen who comes to the town in 1750. He made his wealth by standardizing the postal services in England and later he kind of held a monopoly on Bath area stone quarries. So while his home was in Bath, he brought all that wealth to Weymouth annually for over 15 years.
1: Weymouth gained another influential patron in 1765 when Prince William Henry, Duke of Gloucester, started to regularly visit the town. By the 1780s, he built himself a seafront house in Weymouth known as Gloucester Lodge. In June 1789, King George III arrived in Weymouth and stayed at Gloucester Lodge for Several weeks to try sea bathing, according to a diary account from Fanny Burney, and yes, we do mean that Fanny Burney, the author, the king's first experience of sea bathing in Weymouth happened with a lot of pomp and circumstance. Quote: The king bathes, and with great success, a machine follows the royal one into the sea, filled with fiddlers who play God Save the King as this majesty takes his plunge.
0: So while the king was there at Weymouth, he also visited the assembly rooms, he toured naval ships, and patronized local shops. According to the English Heritage Guide to Weymouth, this patronage of a southern coastal town during a time of war with France was vital to making this actually a thriving place, since visitors might have been really hesitant to be really that close to France across the channel otherwise. So the king returned to Weymouth quite regularly, and from 1791 to 1802, he visited every summer except for in 1793, and he actually did end up purchasing Gloucester Lodge from his brother in 1802.
1: So if you are wealthy and visiting Weymouth, how would you fill your days? An average day for an affluent visitor to Weymouth might include the following activities as prescribed by my new favorite book, a new improved Weymouth guide containing a description of Weymouth, Portland, Lulworth Castle, and every place in the neighborhood worthy of the observation of strangers. And that came out in 1800. We just do not do titles like we used to do titles, and it's really unfortunate.
0: Yeah, we need to we need to revive this skill set for sure.
1: I mean, I feel like the one place where you sort of get titles like this still is in academia, where it's like mm. title, colon, colon. <laughs> extremely long subtitle. And that is very enjoyable
0: to it me. Is. But still, it is.
1: there's something about these old ones that really...
0: Well, and this one is, you know, it's again, it's, it's selling itself, right? It's every place in the neighborhood worthy of observation.
1: Worthy of the observation of strangers. Of
0: strangers. <laughs> Consider me enticed. So according to this guide, the new improved Weymouth guide, the first thing that you should do in the morning if you are visiting is you need to go sea bathing. In Weymouth, the bathing machines were only operated between 6 a.m. and noon, which kind of early for maybe the average aristocrat, but just so you know, I know that I know that you were all panicking like give me all the details about sea bathing. Fear not. <laughs> we will have an entire episode on sea bathing where we'll go more into the mechanics and the me- medical background to this phenomenon. But, you know, back to our day in Weymouth. After your morning sea bathing, then you would take breakfast afterwards and then have the rest of your day for leisure and society.
1: So then you might stop by a circulating library like Harvey's Library for tea, gossip, and books, you know, in that order. First, tea (laughs) to fortify, then gossip, because that's why you're really there. Right. And then the books. So again, from our trusty guide, the following quote The principal library is built in a very elegant style, delightfully situated about the center of the esplanade, where there is a commodious room to read the newspapers and etc., with every suitable accommodation to make it agreeable to the nobility and gentry who continually resort to it. It may not be presumptuous to say that it deserves to be ranked among the first libraries in the kingdom.
0: Bold claim, and I love it. I love everything about that.
1: Again, a library worthy of the observation of strangers.
0: So true. (laughs) So after you go to the library, you could then promenade along the seafront, watching whatever activities might be going on at the end of the pier, such as a regatta or race. And again, our guide encourages us to think about taking a public walk. It says, Public walks are on the esplanade in length half a mile in breadth, 30 feet from whence the company go down by stone steps, or a gradual descent to the sands, on which they may walk with as much comfort as carpet in their own dining rooms. (laughs) In warm, sultry weather, it is delightful to walk within a yard or two of the sea. A refreshing breeze from that element expands its wholesome influence, giving health and spirits. I feel refreshed just reading that.
1: And of course, the whole point of this is also to see and be seen. Oh, yeah. You might also consider an excursion by water, and that's like a section within Mm -hmm. the guide, excursion (laughs) by water, and take a boat out to some of the smaller islands and locations around the bay. And this is of particular interest to us because of this scene in question that we read at the top of the episode. So according to the guide, to the Isle of Portland is about three miles with a fresh breeze and a favorable wind, It may be accomplished in less than half an hour or with oars in moderate weather in about an hour or less. Other places you could access by water include Barn Door or Dirtle Rock, as well as the Lulworth Cove. And of all three of these places, obviously Dirtle Rock is at the top of my list. (laughs) I must go.
0: After your excursion by water, you might stop by the assembly rooms in the Royal Hotel. This is a place for socializing in the coffee rooms during the day or for formal assemblies in the evening. Our guide reminds us that, quote, the assembly room is lofty, light, and spacious in which upwards of 100 couples may dance with ease. The ceremonies are conducted by Mr. Rodber. And you definitely need to be in touch with Mr. Rodber. I mean, because he is dialed into who is in Weymouth.
1: Well, that's the master of ceremonies, and that is the person who would be able to introduce you to other people, much like we see happen in Northanger Abbey with Mm -hmm. Catherine and Henry Tilney. Right. And this is also likely where Frank and Jane shared at least one dance, since Frank points out that one of the songs Jane plays on her new pianoforte is one he recognizes. What felicity it is to hear a tune again, which has made one happy. If I mistake not, that was danced at Weymouth.
0: Oh, Frank, wink <laughs> nudge. You know, he's having this conversation in front of Emma, but he's kind of being like, hey, Jane. Remember? <laughs> our, our swoony dance in Weymouth. And to round out your evening here in Weymouth, your evening might include attending a performance at the Theatre Royal. According to the guide, quote, theatrical amusements are deemed both rational and instructive. And at the same time, may be considered conducive to health. Doctors are gonna love it if you go to the Royal Theater. It's mm-hmm. very conducive to your health.
1: It's really interesting to see the kind of like marketing around yeah. this place as a location that is both for your health, but also they're also trying to sell the entertainment factor mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So Weymouth is again the place where Jane Fairfax spent time with the Campbells who are essentially family to her. This is also where Mr. Dixon saved Jane from falling into the ocean. And it's also where Jane and Frank Churchill met and got secretly engaged. Because again, you know, that whole sort of day of activities that we just walked you through, that's essentially the type of stuff that this crowd would be participating in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I love about this setting for all of this like offstage romance is that it is set in a location that is ostensibly a health destination, but that really gains a big reputation for frivolity, amusement, society, especially because it's so popular early in the early 1800s.
1: I also love the way that Austen name drops Weymouth throughout the novel as a clue to Jane and Frank's relationship. When Frank writes to the Westons to congratulate them on their marriage, He writes from Weymouth, dated September 28th, and, spoiler alert, we later learn that Frank and Jane became engaged in October. So when he wrote that letter, they were clearly at the height of their courtship. Yes. Frank's trip to Weymouth also serves as the catalyst for Mr. Knightley's less-than-favorable take on Frank's delay in visiting the Westons in this little bit of dialogue that we get between Knightley and Emma. So Knightley speaks first. We hear of him forever at some watering place or other. A little while ago, he was at Weymouth. This proves that he can leave the Churchills. Yes, sometimes he can. And those times are whenever he thinks it worth his while, whenever there is any temptation of pleasure. So definitely reinforcing the idea of Weymouth as a frivolous, fun time destination. Certainly, at least in the eyes of Mr. Knightley. Also, Frank just annoys him. So there is that. (laughs) Right. And when Jane arrives in Highbury, she has just come from Weymouth, one of my favorite scenes. Emma is desperate for details. She's like, tell me everything. Tell me about Frank Churchill. Tell me all the things. And Jane's like, it's a town. <laughs> He's a man. You know, she doesn't tell her anything.
0: Nothing. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> it is a place and he is a person. That is essentially all the detail that... Emma gets. And Emma is, of course, so irritated because she's just like, oh, she's so withholding. And (laughs) poor Jane is just like, she can't give her any details. Right. Because she, of course, is, I'm sure, trying to be cautious. You know, she doesn't want to accidentally give away
0: too much. Yeah. She does not trust herself to give any details. And it just drives Emma up the wall. She's like, she cannot handle it. (laughs) Well, and then once Frank arrives in Highbury, he gets also incredibly squirrely and evasive about any kind of questions or details around Weymouth. And of course, he, he's conveniently arriving in Highbury immediately after Jane has left Weymouth and arrived. That timing is just so convenient. It's funny how you two just synced up. Wow. <laughs> well, and, and be, I think perhaps because Emma gets zero details about Weymouth from Jane and she's just thirsty for, you know, what's happening in Weymouth, So Weymouth ends up being where Emma imagines an entire scandalous relationship between Jane and Mr. Dixon, because it's the only actual detail she has about Jane's time. It's the one that Miss Bates provides at the top of the episode. And so she's like, well, you know.
1: When he grabbed her by her habit, he was basically making out with her in public. That's what was going on there. (laughs) In
0: Emma's mind, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And at the Coles party, we even learn that Jane and Frank have had a close enough acquaintance to have sung together at Weymouth. They had sung together once or twice, it appeared, at Weymouth. And Frank is clearly keen to repeat that experience, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in this moment. This is part of like the little clues that Austin is giving us. Like if you were kind of reading Emma as a mystery novel, this is all part of that. Yeah. Pretty much every time Weymouth comes up you can see that Jane and Frank, again, sort of looking back, you can see that Jane and Frank are trying to hide something. It's such a delicious detail in the novel. And considering Austin includes it 17 times, <laughs> it's a pretty obvious clue. Once you're in on the secret, you can really kind of yeah. track Jane and Frank's relationship via the Weymouth references.
0: Right. Well, Weymouth does come up as a place of note in Mansfield Park as well. That's kind of the only other time where it comes up as like, A significant place. Tom Bertram has been enjoying himself in Weymouth and makes the acquaintance of one Mr. Yates and invites Yates to visit Mansfield Park. After leaving Weymouth, Yates goes to a house party where they started planning a production of *Lovers' Vows*, which is interrupted because a family connection inconveniently dies. So the party breaks up, and then Yates heads to Mansfield early. And he's, you know, still buzzing about lovers' vows. And so the Mansfield Home Theatrical is off and running. And all because of a friendship developed at Weymouth.
1: Well, if you would like to tell us about your travels to Weymouth, particularly if you have any photos to share, please get in touch. You can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com, and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, which we always truly appreciate Mm -hmm. so much. We wanted to share part of this review from listener Kelly Hillsdale, who says, Such an amazing podcast. Every episode is like rereading or rewatching your favorite Jane Austen novel or adaptation with
0: your Austen-loving friends. Aw.
1: Thank you so much. That is
0: so kind. So stay tuned for our next episode, where we will be talking about Willoughby's Gift of Queen Mab.
1: Boo! (laughs) Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye!